0: Well, let's talk about the, um, the creed, though. There's actually quite a few different physical positions even for the laity in this. So, I believe in one God. I bow my head, the Father Almighty, ma- maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, I bow my head at that, the only begotten Son of God and born of the Father before all ages. God of God, light of light, true God of true God, begotten not made consubstantial with the Father, "...by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven." And then we all genuflect here, or rather, I know I do because I'm going to genuflect twice, because if it's a sung mass, I'm whispering it at this point, and at least the servers genuflect with me when I whisper and became incarnate by the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary and was made man. But it's actually perfectly timed, like the Misa de Angelis is timed, so that when I finish uh, whispering the creed, they're just getting that part of singing... At Incarnatus says, so then I genuflect. Okay, so I keep whispering. He was crucified also for us, suffered under Pontius Pilate, and was buried. And the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, of whose kingdom there shall be no end. And in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, proceeding from the Father and the Son, who together with the Father and the Son, and then you see me bow my head, is adored and glorified, And what you'll see me do is basically bow my head any time I'm talking about adoration of God. I continue. Who spoke by the prophets, and in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, I confess one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead, and then you'll see me do the cross, and I think you all do the cross too, and the life of the world to come. Amen. So just a reminder, where we're picking up is the Misa Cantata from the Creed onwards. We might get to, um, we might end finish the whole thing today we probably will need one more week to do that so remember we covered from the introit to actually the prayers of the foot of the altar the creed the past couple weeks so now we're going to be looking at the creed and just since we've been sticking with the um, immaculate conception mass even though that just passed a couple days ago we'll still be looking at the propers uh for that but i want to look at a couple things about the creed does anybody know the full name of the creed That, was, no, that wasn't the Apostles' Creed that's what you say Apostles' Creed is what you say when you do the rosary right which, Nicene Creed that's the shortened term the Nicene Creed is the nickname of it Athanasius <laughs> Creed what's that? Athanasius? no that's actually different he helped with it but there's the Athanasius Confession which is really beautiful um, I can't what is that called yeah he has one that's the most amazing description of the Trinity I've ever read Athanasius the official name is the Niceno-Constantinopolitan Creed anybody say that? Niceno-Constantinopolitan Creed is the full name of what we pray there. Uh, Catholics United for the Faith says it is, quote, usually referred to as the Nicene Creed, gets its name from the two ecumenical councils of the 4th century, Nicaea I and Constantinople I. It was written to address the Arian heresy which taught that Jesus was not the eternal son of the Father. That's the heresy. Uh, but the Nicene Creed was and is still used to instruct the faithful on the immortal truths of the Catholic faith. Cuff continues... The more ancient Apostles' Creed provides the foundational truths using the Nicene Creed. That's what you use in the Rosary. But the fathers of these councils added more explicit and detailed language to explain the nature of Christ and the Trinity. Because of its more comprehensive nature, and the fact that it is common to all the great churches of both East and West today, the Nicene Creed is used in the liturgy as an expression of unity and profession of faith. Not neat that it says it's common to all the great churches of both East and West. So again, the name is Niceno Constantine. Latinopolitan creed. And you probably remember this, or at least half of you who weren't going to Latin Mass, I think it was about five years ago that the English Novus Ordo was updated in its translation mm-hmm. to include cons- consubstantial. Mm-hmm. Consubstantial means of one substance with the Father, that God is only one. Do you all remember that? Does anybody remember what the Novus Ordo had before it was changed to consubstantial? What I mean with- one in yes. being with, yeah, that's right. And then they, they transliterated it from the Latin to, because the Latin is also um, consubstantial with a couple letters at the end of that. Okay, then I kissed the altar. I say Dominus phobiscum. um You say Cum Spiriti oh, Then there's the offertory, And the offertory actually on Immaculate Conception was the first half of the Hail Mary. I said Ave Maria Grazia Plena Dominus Tecum Benedicta Tuum Milieribus Alleluia. So that's obviously a proper, proper again, meaning it's proper to this specific Mass. Say it out loud in the low Mass, and I whisper it in the sung Mass. Why do I whisper it? Anybody know? It's because the choir's singing it at that time. So you'll actually be able to see that. So you'll hear the choir sing the first half of the Hail Mary, if you came to that Mass a couple days ago. Um, And that's where it's kind of good to follow along in there, because... It's good to get carried away in the, be- in the uh, beauty of the music. In fact, that is the highest way just to get caught into contemplation. But if you're not in the sixth mansion of Teresa of Avila, it's kind of good to follow along in your book uh, to kind of know where we're going. You'll see me take the uh, chalice veil off at this point, and St. Francis de Sales has this meditation on the priest uncovering the chalice. As we said a couple weeks ago, this is Jesus stripped of his garments. The prayer that Francis de Sales gives us Is Lord Jesus Christ, who is pleased to be despoiled of thy garments and most inhumanly scourged for love of me, grant me grace to lay aside the burden of my sins by a good confession and never to appear before thee despoiled of the virtues of a Christian. Okay, so then the veil comes off. And what do we say about the patent presenting? Does anybody remember that? What does the patent represent? The Jewish people, very good, yeah. (coughs) The patent represents the Jewish people because they present Christ to the Father in the human sense, And then it is placed under the corporal, and that represents the veiling that they will have until the end of time. But then at the end of time, the patent comes out because there will be a massive influx of the Jews into the Catholic faith. Uh, The majority of them, in fact, I think. So what should you be doing during the offertory? There's a uh, woman named Catalina Rivas. She's a Bolivian living in Mexico, and she received private revelations on the Mass. And she goes to the Novus Ordo, and I think some traditionalists doubt the authenticity of her vision, but I really do suspect this was Mary speaking to her, at least in the offertory in another part that I'm going to read, because it's just really perfect and heavenly theology. So she writes this, it's kind of a long quote, but um, this is Mary walking her through the Mass, and uh, I can tell you this, even if it's not an authentic apparition, I tend to think it is, but... Even if it's not, there's nothing wrong in the theology I'm about to read you. It very much jives with traditional theology. Okay, so a moment later, the offertory arrived, and the Holy Virgin said, this is her vision that she was given during Mass. Pray like this, and I repeated after her, Lord, I offer all that I am, all that I have, all that I can do. I put everything into your hands. Build it up, Lord, with the little thing that I am. By the merits of your Son, transform me, Almighty God. I petition you for my family, for my benefactors, for each member of our apostolate, for all the people who fight against us, for those who commend themselves to my poor prayers. Teach me to lay down my heart as if on the ground before them, so that their walk may be less severe. This is how the saints prayed. This is how I want all of you to do it. So even if you can't remember all that, when you see me take the veil off, the key words to pray is that... This is where you offer your life on the altar. This is where you think of everybody that you're sacrificing for, every situation around the world, all the dead that might be in purgatory, even all the dead you don't know by name who are in purgatory, the people least prayed for in purgatory. You give all of your hopes, your dreams, your sufferings, your desires, your past sufferings, current sufferings, future sufferings, your past joys, current joys, future joys, your body, your mind, your soul. You're actually humanly placing on that patent your whole life. So the key part of that thing that Mary told uh, Catalina to pray was, Lord, I offer all that I am, all that I have, all that I can do. I put everything into your hands. Build it up, Lord, with the little thing that I am. So you're joining your merits to Christ. And it's very similar to the fact that that little host is just bread at this point. It's not the body of Christ. And that also represents our humanity, that you're joining your piddly humanity to a piece of bread, but it will be transformed. And just as the bread is transformed into God, this is the Church's teaching on salvation. It's, it's called divinization. We don't just sneak into heaven by the skin of our teeth. The whole goal is divinization. That's what the early Church Fathers call it. It comes from uh, Peter's letter in the Bible, that we become partakers of the divine nature. So if you want that transformation, John of the Cross goes so far as to say several times in his writing we become God by participation. He doesn't mean that like the Mormons do in the polytheistic sense, but again, John of the Cross says numerous times in his writings, we become God by participation. This is a key part of that, because you're placing your whole life and your will on that patent. This is why I think the offertory is the most underrated part of the Mass, actually. I think most Catholics believe in the consecration. But again, usually it's like, you know, read the bulletin, scratch your wife's back the offertory, Kind of just like chill out. Yeah, Chris. Um, could you a couple of questions here? What was the name of the? I guess it was a woman. The vision. Yes, Catalina Rivas. Could you the well, last names? R, I, V, A, S. In Bolivia. Yes. And about what period of time? She's alive right now. This just happened a few oh, years okay. ago. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, real new. And um, one last question on the. A bit of divination. Divina- divinization. It just—it seemed—it seemed pretty important. So, could you go over it again? Sure. So, the Eastern Church Fathers used the word theosis, and theos in Greek is God. So, the Eastern Church Fathers are very heavy on this idea of theosis. That I think it was um, one of the very first Church Fathers. It was either Irenaeus or Athanasius. One of them said, "Well, Athanasius wasn't one of the first, but." a very common phrase among the early Christians was the Son of God became a Son of Man so the sons of men could become sons of God. I'll say that again. The Son of God became a Son of Man so the sons of men could become sons of God. So only only the divine word the second person of the Trinity is by being begotten the Son of God naturally consubstantially of the same nature but by baptism, we become adopted sons and daughters of God. And if you think about it, like I remember I was once in a taxi with a Jehovah's Witness, and they don't believe that Jesus is God, and they insist that he's the Son of God, but not God. And so I said to him, actually, well, oh, we were speaking in French, I think he was Haitian, and I said, c'est le fils elephant?" What's the son of an elephant? And he started laughing. He's like, "Oh, you got me! Right? Like, <laughs> what's the son of an elephant? An elephant, <laughs> right? So, what's the son of God? God, right? Mm-hmm. And this was actually not a debate on humans becoming divinized, but just Jesus being the son of God. Obviously, shares his nature, right? The son of a giraffe's a giraffe. So, if people ask you, "Well, no, Jesus is the son of God. He's not God," I say, but right there, it shows that they're of the same nature." You know, and you can also point them to many times like. When Thomas says, my Lord and my God, at his resurrection, Jesus doesn't correct him. I mean, there's times that he's even called God himself. But Peter writes that we become partakers in the divine nature, and what that means is that um, baptism makes us adopted sons and daughters of God, but to become like God, it also takes our abandonment and the subjection of our wills handed over to him to... um, to live with the two things that you see in Romans chapter 12, that we are not conformed to this age, but let our minds be transfigured. It's actually literally the same word in Greek as Luke 9 with the transfiguration. Let your mind be transfigured. And the second thing is to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. <clears throat> Those are the two keys to becoming like God. Is You stop thinking as a, a pagan... And you let your mind be transfigured to think as Christ thinks, and the second is to offer your body as a living sacrifice. And so, and actually, all the moms here have an advantage of that because Paul goes so far as to say that woman will be saved through bearing children. Isn't that amazing? It doesn't mean if you didn't have children, you're not saved. Okay, but but like it is interesting that the, how much pain comes in childbirth that that is part of your redemption. I didn't write this stuff. This is the Holy Spirit speaking through St. Paul, right? So, Isn't that... That was also... What's beautiful about that is that was the consequence of Eve and Adam's sin. Yes, yes. They always looked at God until Mm -hmm. they sinned, and then they only looked at themselves. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So then you're saying that through women having... I mean... Yeah, through women. Yeah, it's beautiful. Right, and if you think about it, I mean, Jesus on the cross bears many children through the pain. So he there's so much tied into suffering, beget, begotting. Suffering is how we become these cracked pieces of wheat. Remember how Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, unless a grain of wheat... Oh, no, I can never say it without this stupid old song. Unless a grain of wheat shall fall... Unless a grain of wheat shall fall upon the ground and die, it remains but a single grain. But it's true. I mean, that comes from, from John 12. Unless a grain of wheat falls upon the ground and dies and is cracked open, it remains the same. So we actually come to life by dying to ourselves. And that's what's beautiful about having children is, you know, there's people often say, well, women died in childbirth. And it's like, then they're just like Jesus on the cross. They gave birth through dying. You know, you become God-like. What is it like to be like God? You look at the cross, That's what it's like. And so a woman who dies in childbirth, what did Jesus die for? To bear many children for the kingdom. And that's why this is such a physical faith, our Catholicism, right? That's why you put your physical sufferings on the altar in the offertory at this point. Uh, A little bit more from Catalina Rivas. She says, Thus, this is how Jesus asks us to pray, that we put our hearts as if on the ground so that they do not feel its severity, but rather that we alleviate the pain of their steps. Suddenly some characters... This is during the offertory She sees this in Mass. Suddenly some characters whom I had not seen before began to stand up. It was as if from the side of each person present in the cathedral another person emerged, and soon the cathedral became full of young, beautiful people. They were dressed in very white robes, and they started to move into the central aisle and then went towards the altar. Our mother said... "...observe, they are the guardian angels of each one of the persons who are here. This is the moment in which your guardian angel carries your offerings and petitions before the altar of the Lord." So person doesn't mean they're a human person. Person is just a personage. That's not saying that angels are have bodies here. Um, at that moment, I was completely astonished because these beings had such beautiful faces, so radiant as one is unable to imagine. Their countenance was very beautiful with almost feminine faces. However, the structure of their body, their hands, their height were masculine. Their naked feet did not touch the floor, but rather they went off as if gliding. That procession was very beautiful. Some of them were carrying something like a golden bowl with something that shone a great deal with a golden white light. The Virgin Mary said, They are the guardian angels of the people who are offering this Holy Mass for many intentions, those who are conscious of what this celebration means. They have something to offer the Lord. Offer yourselves at at this moment. Offer your sorrows, your pains, your hopes, your sadness, your joys, your petitions. Remember that the Mass has infinite value. Therefore, be generous in offering and in asking. Pause it real quick. Sometimes I fear, and I can't see it. So it's not so much um, the masses that I offer, but you know, I sometimes when I read what traditionalists say online, I'm like, this guy's just got to be doing nothing but sitting with his arms folded, judging the priest. If this is all he's getting from mass, right? I mean, Mass isn't a time just to kind of fold your arms, sit back, and just watch the priest and see he did this right and he did this wrong. I mean, do you see how active this is that you can't just say, well, I didn't commit any mortal sins this week and I received Holy Communion, and so it's a, it's a good Mass. I mean, here, it's like this, we're to give everything at the offertory, right? This is, this is, talk about active participation. You were supposed to be thinking of your whole life that you lay on the altar at this moment. Behind the first angels came others who had nothing in their hands. They were coming empty-handed. The Virgin Mary said, Those are the angels of the people who are here but never offer anything. They have no interest in living each liturgical moment of the Mass, and they have no gifts to carry before the altar of the Lord. At the end of the procession came other angels who were rather sad, with their hands joined in prayer but with their eyes downcast. These are the guardian angels of the people who are here but do not want to be, that is to say of the people who have been forced to come here, who have come out of obligation, but people but without any desire to participate in the Holy Mass. The angels go forth sadly because they have nothing to carry to the altar except for their own prayers. It means the angels' prayers. So anyway, even if you don't accept this private revelation of Catalina Rebus, remember that it is the tradition of the Church to join your life to the bread at this moment and your prayers to mine, uh, which you can find in the offertory. Or rather, you can find those prayers in the ordinary. If you look in the ordinary, or the Roman canon, you'll see all these prayers I'm praying, and they're very beautiful prayers that I'll encourage you to pray, and that's what's good to have your missile open as you are watching me whisper and offer the bread and the wine. If you join your heart and mind through reading the prayers I'm praying, that's a good thing to be doing at that moment. Uh, one of these prayers is, Accept, O Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, this unspotted host. A real quick pause. You know in the traditional Mass... If I'm getting ready for Mass and I notice a notch or a blemish or a crack in a host, I'm not to use that, at least for the sacrificial host. Any, any idea why? You just said it. Said it, yeah, but mm-hmm. tie it to the mm-hmm. Old words. Testament. It could unblemished oh, uh, lamb. lamb. Unblemished lamb, exactly. I'm, I'm only to offer an unblemished lamb. So when I'm getting ready for Mass, if I notice like even a fingernail piece missing from the host, I'll put it aside just to eat after Mass or something like that. Um, because we're only to use an unblemished, spotless host, the Lamb. Isn't that neat? So so that's what I'm offering. Accept a Holy Father Almighty, even though it's only bread. I'm not saying it's God at this point. It's only bread, but still. Accept the Holy Father Almighty and eternal God, this unspotted host, which I, thy unworthy servant, offer unto thee, my living and true God, for my innumerable sins, offenses, and negligences, and for all here present, as also for all faithful Christians, both living and dead, that it may avail both me and them for salvation unto life everlasting. Amen. So it's going to become God, but I'm offering it um, because it's at this point just bread. But I'm trying to attach all of your lives to it. So I don't know if you know this, but in the offertory, I'm actually required to think of who's attending the Mass. That's one reason why it's more powerful to attend Mass in person than it is, say, on TV. And there's a lot of people who are homebound, and, and you can still obtain tons of graces by watching Mass on TV. But I specifically try to remember the people who've asked me for prayers, and we're required to be praying at this moment for those who are behind me at this Mass. So I'm actively trying to join your lives to the altar at this moment. That's why you should be praying these prayers at the offertory, because we're both trying to add your whole life onto that for the sake of divinization. Remember, uh, you pray those things with your missile. Fulton Sheen called this the great exchange, and this is how I know everything that came from Catalina Rivas is at least solid in that section, that... Fulton Sheen calls this great exchange that you die to yourself in the offertory. You give over your will. If you think about the things in your life you don't want to change, the things you don't want to give up, the offertory is the time to do it. and You die to yourself. But Fulton Sheen assures us the beauty of that death at the offertory because what do you get back 12 minutes later? You get back the living flesh of the Son of God. You get His life back. See why it's worth it? See why it's worth it at the offertory to give up the things you don't want to give up? Because when you give those up at the offertory, yeah, you might feel a bit empty the next 12 minutes. And then you receive Holy Communion and our Lord fills you up. But you kind, it's like an oil change. You kind of have to let the oil out at the offertory before you get the new oil in uh, receiving Holy Communion. But the water and the wine, this is very tied to this divinization as I put the water and the wine I say, O oh God, who in creating human nature didst wonderfully dignify it and still more wonderfully restore it, grant that by the mystery of this water and wine we may be made partakers of his divine nature, who vouchsafe to be made partaker of our human nature, even Jesus Christ our Lord thy Son, who with thee liveth and reigneth in the unity of the Holy Ghost, God, world without end. Amen. So that's taken right from St. Peter in the Bible. Be made partakers of his divine nature who vouchsafe to be made partaker of our human nature. So obviously the wine represents God, the water represents humanity, and then both will become God. Isn't that amazing? They don't represent it after the consecration. The wine represents God, the water represents humanity at the offertory, but at the consecration, both become God. See how this works? This is why John of the cross didn't blush to say we become... God by participation. Okay, so now that you have a missile, you can pray this. Let's add a little bit of what St. Francis de Sales says we should pray at the offertory. He says at the offertory, we should be thinking about Jesus being scourged. Quote, Lord Jesus Christ, who is pleased to be fastened to the pillar and torn with stripes, grant me grace to patiently endure the scourges of thy paternal correction and never more to grieve thy heart with my sins. Close quote. Again, this is death to yourself. As you see me off at the chalice, St. Francis de Sales says you should think of Jesus being crowned with thorns. Again, as I offer the chalice, think of Jesus being crowned with thorns according to this great doctor of the church. His prayer he gives us his Lord Jesus Christ, who did submit through love of me to be crowned with thorns, grant that my heart may be so penetrated with the thorns of repentance in this world that I may deserve to be hereafter crowned with thee in glory. So Francis de Sales gives us more of this great exchange. Let me be crowned with correction and repentance now so I can wear the crown of glory hereafter. We offer unto Thee, O Lord, the chalice of salvation, beseeching Thy clemency that it may ascend before Thy divine majesty as a sweet savor for our salvation and for that of the whole world. Amen. That's what I pray as I hold up the chalice. Notice that I actually said we offer, and that is true. The Latin was oferimus, that's the first person plural. So, you see, in the 70s, people got the whole idea of the ministerial priesthood and the common priesthood very conflated, which means mixed up. There still is the difference between the ministerial priesthood and the common priesthood. You all partake in the common priesthood. I partake in the ministerial priesthood. But me saying we offer shows that um, it it did take everyone... Um, to do this because for example I wasn't raised in a preached priest hatchery I came from a family right I'm not a baker I didn't make the bread I've never made wine in my life so it does take I mean I know this sounds like a 70s hippie idea but it really does take everybody for the mass right the priest comes from a family I didn't I had to have people buy the bread for me because I don't have any money-making ventures. Um, and so it ta- this is one reason why we're, we're offering everything humanity as Catholics can give at this moment. I do find it ironic, too, how much we needed the choir and the servers before Vatican II for the Misa Cantata and the Misa Solemnis. I mean, the funny thing is now in the new Mass, the priest can actually chant the whole Mass, but in the Misa Cantata, I can't, I'm not even allowed to do it without five servers and probably about five people in the choir. Isn't that amazing? that I actually... Talk about needing the laity. We can't even do the Misa Cantata without the laity. You can't say that about any Mass in the Novus Ordo. There's priest positions that are replaced as like extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion, but that's just priestly roles. There's really no important lay roles left. I think that's very ironic, considering I look at this how much I need you guys for the Misa Cantata. Like, I can't do the Rorate Celi Mass on Saturday till I talked to Ron and Ken and got all the boys ready and and Keeley and, and Eustache and really made sure they could sing the choir. So talk about full and active participation at Mass. There were real roles, and we really needed you. Okay, then I wash my hands. The prayer I pray is, I will wash my hands among the innocent, and I will compass thine altar. O Lord, that I may hear the voice of praise and tell of all thy wondrous works, I have loved, O Lord, the beauty of Thy house and the place where Thy glory dwelleth. Take not away my soul, O God, with the wicked, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are iniquities. The right hand is filled with gifts, but I have walked in my innocence. Redeem me and have mercy on me. My foot hath stood in a, the direct way. In the churches, I will bless Thee, O Lord. Then you see me wash my hands, and just like the movie uh, Francis de Sales, even though he lived 500 years before the movie, tells us we should picture Pilate washing his hands. Francis de Sales quote, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, who although declared innocent by Pilate, was subjected to the insults and outrages of the Jews, grant me the grace to live an irreproachable life and at the same time to maintain a holy indifference to the opinions of men, close quote. So what he, Francis de Sales is saying there is, when you see me washing my hands, you should also be asking God that you can live an irreproachable life. It means a life that doesn't even look bad on the outside. I don't mean faking holiness, while living a bad life, I mean, not even letting someone, not even letting it appear you're doing evil. The last silent prayer that I'm going to praise before the Orate Fratres. Orate Fratres. The silent prayer is: Receive a holy Trinity this oblation, which we make to Thee in memory of the Passion, Resurrection, and Ascension of Our Lord Jesus Christ, and in honor of the Blessed Virgin, and in honor of Blessed Mary Ever Virgin, Blessed John the Baptist, the Holy Apostles Peter and Paul, and of all the Saints, that it may avail unto their honor and our salvation, and may they vouchsafe to intercede for us in heaven, whose memory we celebrate on earth, through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Then at the Orate Fratres, St. Francis de Sales says you should meditate on Pilate saying to the Jews, Behold the man. So that's when I spin around. Last time you're going to see me before I hold up the resurrected flesh and blood of Jesus when I actually pray, Ece Agnus Dei. But at the Orate Fratres, as I spin around, you think of Pilate saying to the Jews, Behold the man, Eche Homo. Prayer that Francis de Sales gives is Lord Jesus Christ, who did submit to the derision of the Jews and voluntarily wear the badges of their insolent mockery, grant that I may faithfully resist all emotions of vainglory and appear before thee on the day of judgment clothed in the sacred vestments of thy humility. Okay, then you're going to see my hands. Um, actually, I think I said it wrong. In the offertory, my hands are together. In a the secret, they're about eight inches apart. The secret prayer for the Immaculate Conception a couple days ago is accept, O Lord, the sacrifice of salvation, which we offer you on the feast of the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and grant that as we profess that she was kept from all taint of evil by your anticipating grace, so through her intercession may we be freed from all sin. Close quote. So it's kind of like the final goal name for why we offer this sacrifice in a preparation, and a prayer to ask God to literally do that, help us in the sacrifice. Actually, it's actually not just helping us, it's the son offering himself to the father. So orate Fratres literally means pray my brothers and you know that's the same in the Novus Ordo. If you ever go to a Novus Ordo that faces ad orientum, the priest is going to turn around and say pray my, brother, pray my brothers and sisters, and actually they changed that again pray brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God the almighty father right? So even if you go, like I have some friends who offer the new mass facing the altar but they'll spin around because that's spoken to the people at that Time. Same with Domius Biscuit. That means the Lord be with you. So basically, any time you see me spin around, it's just those few times that I, in a certain sense, take my attention off of God and give it to you. But in another sense, I don't take it off of God. And that's even seen in the physicality of this because I think I've told you this before, but. When I say the orace fratres or dominus phobiscum, I'm not allowed to make eye contact with anybody. In fact, there's even a rubric for that, that I'm supposed to look at the ground. Remember, I told you that a couple weeks ago, that it can be distracting to the priest. And then, you know, why was he looking at me? It was two times and not you. Or why was he looking at you and not me? I mean, it just it avoids... It, everything has been thought of in this old Mass, that when you see me spin around and say dominus Fobiscum, I'm looking at the ground. It's not me being cold to you all, not saying I don't love you, it's saying I'm trying to keep my heart on God while at the same time asking you to pray with me, right? So you'll see me look at the ground, but that's not anything against sure. you. Yes, not a question. Okay. So, sorry, I don't have a theological answer. I only have the practical side of it—that it's it's talking to you instead of God. So, did you know why? No. Okay, so. okay. Yeah. It's all right. Okay. At the preface, Jesus is condemned to death. Lord Jesus Christ, who through this, Lord Jesus Christ, who though the God of sanctity did submit through love for me to a most ignominious condemnation, grant me grace to avoid rash judgments and strengthen me to bear with patience the injustice of men. Okay. Then there's the response. This is the dialogue before the preface. I say Dominus Fobiscum. What's the response? The spirit the spirit you. Do you do Sursum Corda. Gratis agamos, Domino Deo Nostro. Okay, and then there's the preface of the in the Immaculate Conception Mass. It's the preface of the Blessed Virgin Mary. That'll be sung. And here's the words for that that you heard two days ago if you came to that. The prefaces are very, very beautiful. So I'm going to read the whole thing. It'll only take 30 seconds. It is truly meet and just, right, and for our salvation, that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to Thee, O Holy Lord, Father Almighty, everlasting God, and that we should praise and bless and proclaim thee in the immaculate conception of the blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, who also conceived thine only begotten Son by the overshadowing of the Holy Ghost and the glory of her virginity still abiding, gave forth to the world the everlasting light, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom the angels praise thy majesty, the dominations worship it, and the powers stand in awe. The heavens and the heavenly hosts, together with the blessed seraphim in triumphant chorus, unite to celebrate it. Together with these we entreat thee that thou mayst bid our voices also to be admitted while we say with lowly praise, Holy, Holy, Holy. Sometimes you'll have Protestants kind of push against us with the rosary and say, repetitive prayer is bad and one of the things you can do is show that the angels repeatedly cry holy, holy, holy. That's from Apocalypse chapter 4 verses 8. So we have examples of repetitive prayer. So what we have to assume Jesus meant is vain repetitious prayer. So when you say holy, holy, holy don't let it be vain repetitious prayer. Really be saying to God he's holy. Again please on that uh, repetitive prayer. Well a lot of times okay Apocalypse 4.8 has the angels say, Holy, holy, holy. Jesus prays three times in the garden. I mean, so there's numerous examples in the New Testament of praying repetitively. What God doesn't want from us is vain repetition, meaning where you don't join your thoughts. How did Shakespeare put it? Something like, My words fly up, my thoughts remain below. Words without thoughts never to heaven go. Yeah, that was it. So we're lifted to heaven at this moment. Heaven doesn't come down to us. We're lifted to heaven. Catalina Rivas says that this is what Mary showed her. Quote, The final moment of the preface arrived, and when the assembly said, Holy, 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 suddenly everything that was behind the celebrants disappeared. Behind the left side of the archbishop, thousands of angels appeared in a diagonal line. Small angels, big angels, angels with immense wings, angels with small wings, angels without wings. As the previous ones, all were dressed with tunics like the white robes of the priests or altar boys. Everyone knelt with their hands united in prayer and bowed their heads in reverence. Beautiful music was heard as if there were many choirs with different voices and all singing in unison together with the people, Holy, Holy, Holy. Our Lady said, These are all the saints in the blessed of heaven, and among them are the souls of your relatives who already enjoy the presence of God. Then I saw her exactly to the right of the Archbishop. She's talking about Mary. A step behind the celebrant. She was a little suspended off the floor, kneeling on some very fine, transparent material, but at the same time luminous fabric, as crystalline as water. The Holy Virgin, with hands joined, was looking attentively and respectfully at the celebrant. She spoke to me from there, but silently directly to my heart, without looking at me. It surprises you to see me standing a little behind the Archbishop, does it not? This is how it should be, with all the love that my son gives me. He has not given me the dignity that he has given the priests of being able to perform the daily miracle with my hands as they do with their priestly hands. Because of this, I feel deep respect for priests and for the miracle that God carries out through them, which compels me to kneel here behind them. Close quote. Amazing. So, see how blasphemous it is to stand at this part of the Mass? That Mary is kneeling at this part of the Mass? You know? And luckily in the United States, it's pretty good here. But if you go to Europe, it's really bad how many people stand during the Roman canon at the Novus Ordo. I'm going to talk just a little bit about the uh, Roman canon. So now starts the Roman canon. Um, I would say it's the most important part of the Mass. Clementissime Pater, That's where I start whispering. And the translation is, We therefore humbly pray and beseech Thee, Most Merciful Father, through Jesus Christ thy son our Lord, and you'll see me kiss the altar, that thou which vouchsafe to accept and bless, and then I join my hands and I do the sign of the cross three times over the oblata, which means things that will be sacrificed. These gifts, these presents, these holy unspotted sacrifices, then I extend my hand, then I extend my hands and I proceed, which in the first place we offer thee for thy holy Catholic Church, to which vouchsafe to grant peace. <coughs> as also to preserve, unite, and govern it throughout the whole world, together with thy servant, then I say the Pope's name, and then the name of the bishop, and all Orthodox believers, and professors of the Catholic and Apostolic faith. Be mindful, O Lord, of thy servants and handmaidens, and you'll see my hands come together, and I'll actually name people, I'll actually whisper them. In the Sung Mass, did you ever notice that in the Sung Mass, the MC steps away from the priest twice? Did you see that two days ago? See Ron walk away? This is because he wanted to give me privacy. This is an ancient tradition that I'll actually say people's names out loud at that moment. Maybe who the mass is for, maybe someone who I know is in trouble, maybe a family or a friend, or maybe one of you asked me for prayers for someone you know, in your family. I'll literally say it out loud, but at least the tradition from the Middle Ages, maybe the early church, the MCs takes a couple steps away so he's not listening in on who I'm actually praying for. And this could be perhaps attached to confession um, that I can pray for you. but again I don't ever recognize names but it could be part of the tradition there almost done here I extend my hands and then I pray silently for those who I intend to pray I perceive of all here present whose faith and devotion are known unto thee for whom we offer or who offer up to thee this sacrifice of praise for themselves their families and friends for the redemption of their souls for the health and salvation they hope for and who now pay their vows to thee the everlasting living and true God so again, notice there that we did say, even in the old Mass, who offer up to thee this sacrifice of praise for themselves. So we're all worshiping God. This isn't just where you sit back and play Monday morning armchair quarterback to the priest. This is intense, what you should be thinking about. It doesn't mean you have to be frenetic and racking your brain, but you should be paying attention. And this is where it's so helpful what Francis de Sales gives us, because he says that the memento for the living, that's when I name those people by name, you should be thinking of Jesus carrying his cross. Lord Jesus Christ, who didst carry thy heavy cross for my salvation, grant that I may voluntarily embrace the cross of mortification and carry it daily for thy love. Okay, then the communicantes. We pray in union with and honor the memory, especially of the, this is the words of the communicantes. You'll follow along. I'm whispering this to God. We pray in union with and honor the memory, especially of the glorious ever-Virgin Mary, mother of our God and Lord Jesus Christ, and also of the blessed Joseph, her spouse, and of the blessed apostles and martyrs, Peter and Paul, Andrew, James, John, Thomas, James, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Simon and Thaddeus, Linus, Cleus, Clement, Sixtus, Cornelius, Cyprian, Lawrence, Chrysogonus, John and Paul, Cosmos and Damien, and all thy saints, through whose merits and prayers grant that we may in all things be defended by the help of thy protection through the same Christ. It's calling on something in the spiritual world brings them there. Well, this is true of the saints. So when I'm saying all these names, Peter, Paul, Andrew, James, John, Thomas, James, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Simon, Thaddeus, Linus, Cletus, clement I'm not just rattling these off. I'm actually trying to think of them being there because, first of all, they are there. But I'm also trying to honor their memory, as those early Christians in the catacombs would have, that he was calling on their protection. So I'm trying to keep a few things in mind at once. Your intentions that you brought me and I'm asking these saints to be present with us and take care of some of these intentions. During this prayer of the Communicantes, Francis de Sales says we should be thinking about Veronica wiping the face of Jesus with a linen cloth. His prayer is, quote, Lord Jesus Christ, who on thy way to Calvary did say to the holy women that wept for the love of thee, weep not for me, but for yourselves. Give me the grace to weep for my sins with tears of holy contrition and love that will render me agreeable to thy divine majesty. Okay, then the hunk did you to remember what I said about that. That's where you see my hands come together. The bells are going to go. That should remind you of the scapegoat that's led into the wilderness. As I told you before, that's where I'm thinking of all the community sins that I'm placing on Christ's head for him to be the scapegoat as on Yom Kippur. The English words of the Mass is, We therefore beseech thee, O Lord, graciously to accept this oblation, that's a sacrifice, of our service and also of thy whole family, <laughs> and to dispose our days in thy peace. Preserve us from eternal damnation and and rank us in the number of thine elect. Then I join my hands. So, in other words, it's saying, "Let me not experience eternal death, because this is Jesus going to death. Jesus is taking my place, and I, I let Him do that. I let Jesus take my place in death. And this oblation, do thou, O God, vouchsafe in all respects." And then I sign the bread and the wine three times with the sign of the cross to approve, bless, approve. Sorry, to bless, and then I bless it. Approve, and then I bless it. Ratify, and I bless it. Make worthy and acceptable then I sign the host and the chalice with the sign of the cross that it may be, come for us the body and then just the bread and the blood and the wine of thy most beloved Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And oblationem is what I'm saying in Latin. That's just the same word as oblation in English, which means peace offering. And an interesting term that oblation means peace offering, I think of um, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, making void the law of commandments contained in decrees that Christ may make the two in himself into one new man making peace and might reconcile both to God in one body by the cross, killing the enmities in himself. So this is the unbloody sacrifice making peace on earth. This is why Fulton, I mean, sorry, this is why Padre Pio said, sooner could the earth exist without the sun than without the holy mass. This is like the balance to all the evil that's happening in the world. The Protestants' complaint. Uh, yeah. Uh, about yeah. That, as so, far as mm-hmm. I don't know of any other lines to give you besides those two: the Holy, 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 and Jesus praying in the garden. A lot of times on these debates, it all comes down to: do we accept sola scriptura or not? That, I mean, from the very early church. Um, the Easterners were praying the Jesus prayer. The Jesus prayer is, Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that's still what Russian Orthodox will pray today. I mean, when you get serious in Russian Orthodoxy, you start at about 2,000 of those a day, and then you build yourself up to 10,000 a day. So the Eastern fathers, this is what they prayed in the desert all day long. Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus Christ, to the point that they prayed in their sleep. So, when a Protestant, so what would a Protestant say when I said that? Oh, but that's not the Bible. That's not the Bible. That was the. So then I say, but then prove to me that the Bible is the only rule of faith. Prove that to me, even from the Bible. Can you do that? You know, because they may not care that the early fathers said that. But then I'll just say to them, okay. So then, like the Holy Spirit was absent for fifteen hundred years to finally Luther figure this out. So I'll usually say, in the first now, th- this is this is honestly where I bring every debate. Is I. Say, if you can find me one Christian in the first thousand years of Christianity that believes as you believe, not as me, if you can find one Christian in the first thousand years of Christianity that did not worship in the catacombs with relics at it, that did not believe that what they were worshiping was the representation of the sacrifice of Calvary, that did not believe that Jesus was truly present body and blood, that did not believe that Mary was the holy Theotokos, ever-virgin, always-holy mother of God, that did not believe you needed intercession of saints and martyrs, I will take off this collar, and I'll go join your Protestant community. The reason I don't say 1,500 years, it sounds like I'm taking them right to the edge of the Reformation. Everybody loves to think about what happened in the first 1,000 first years of Christianity, except traditionals who like to only think of from 1,600 to 1950. But, <laughs> but let's look at the first 1,000 years of Christianity. I say to Protestants all the time, I, mean, I can hold a verse war with the best of them over coffee for three, four hours, and no one's going to win. Because they're not going to beat me and they're not going to be convinced by my biblical quotes, right? So, really, I usually just end up saying, Find me one Christian. And they'll say, Well, that's not as important as the Bible. That's not the Word of God. I say, I agree. But then, where was the Holy Spirit? How did the Holy Spirit let all these people misinterpret the Bible for 1,500 years? So, then we actually have a bigger problem that the Holy Spirit, who inspired the Bible, was absent. It's not that the Bible was absent. Then the Holy Spirit was absent. So now that everybody has access to the internet and you can go find anything you want online, you go find me one Christian who wasn't a heretic in the first thousand years who believed as you believe. They will never succeed. They've, I've never had anybody take that up and win. They like. Now here's what's funny. Evangelicals are now claiming St. Francis of Assisi and St. Patrick. It's kind of weird, St. Patrick, but they're claiming Francis of Assisi and St. Patrick. But all you have to do is just, I mean, Francis of Assisi spent every night he could before the Blessed Sacrament. He preached all day and prayed all night before the (coughs) Blessed Sacrament, you know. Um, Patrick was as Roman as they came. All of his theology, liturgy, all of his rites, he was was Roman through and through. Yeah, Damon. In reference to Chris's question, I think it's also hard for us (coughs) Catholics because we've all been raised with... The rosary. So outside mm-hmm. of the Bible, the Blessed Virgin told us to pray the rosary, which is mm-hmm. nothing but a repetitive right. prayer. Mm-hmm. So we're just automatically, we know it's good because yeah. we've been you know listening to Our Lady. Yeah. But remember uh, also how many apparitions of Our Lady have said how it doesn't do you much if you're just rattling them off and not actually thinking about it. Right. So I think we do have to remember that, I mean, when Mary appeared in Kibeho in Africa around 1982, she said... You should meditate briefly before each decade. Mm -hmm. I get the idea she meant 30 to 60 seconds. I don't think it has to be 10 minutes between every decade. But again, I mean, not to rip on traditionalists, but usually when I'm with traditionalists, They're as bad as the Irish. My my mother's four grandparents are from Ireland, so I'm allowed to rip on them. I've only done the Latin Mass in three years, so I'm ripping on my own people, Irish traditionalists. But they're done with the rosary in 12 minutes. We would go through a Mass in... 40 minutes, and the, when we did say the rosary, I mean, it was quick. 40 minutes, nothing. No, There's it, it, it was 40 uh, priest Yeah, priests can, can get through the race, low mass in 15 vote. minutes. What, pardon mm-hmm. me? Priests can get through the low mass in 15 minutes. They, they used to have races before Vatican II. This is why everything wasn't perfect then. I mean, Archbishop Chappie, who ordained me, said he knew these Franciscans who try to get it down to 20 minutes. Well, we, we were told minutes. as altar boys by the priests, just... Yeah. During the homily, you start coughing after five minutes. Wow. <laughs> and boy, we coughed. Wow. I had, I had a parish like that on the Eastern Plains. They just coughed. days and like what I was preaching for. So started coughing. Was that planted? <laughs> <laughs> um, the, uh, no, but I mean, really, in a certain sense, can you blame evangelicals for when they hear us rattle off a rosary in 14 minutes? Like, really? That was... So what... So when we... Because I'm guilty about it, and I do say the rosary... Um, Watch, sh- and I, I am guilty of just mindless repetition, yeah. um, what should we be doing? Well, we- well, one thing that helps a lot is the scriptural rosary. Um, there is a little booklet that can do that, and there's just a verse between each one. So, like, for example, the crowning with thorns, it goes through lines mm-hmm. in that, and then each line is like, I mean, not that you can stretch out a verse for each of those but they kind of include that whole section so maybe a better example is like the Annunciation I mean Annunciation is 20 verses so they'll take a different verse for that for each each one and that really really helps me there's even an app on phones called Scriptural Rosary so I think it's better to pray one rosary well than three poorly in the day but I'll tell you I wouldn't have said this five years ago I think it's better to pray three poorly than one poorly That's kind of where I am now, is I still feel that this is how good Our Lady is to us, that even when I've done 15 decades poorly, I still feel massive amounts of Our Lady's protection. Mm -hmm. So let me say that again. Better to do one rosary well than three poorly, but better to do three poorly than one poorly. (laughs) Or not. Or none, yeah. So we're not looking for perfection, and that's where I just think it's a good idea before each decade to just give 20 seconds, just picture, you know, especially if you've got that book, um, Conversation with Christ, if you actually enter into your mental prayer and do that for 20 or 30 minutes in the morning, that brings all these great fruit to your rosary. If you actually start meditating, you'll start seeing these things in your meditation. In the rosary. So, these two things are tied. So, I always say to people, do your 20 minutes of meditation in the morning and do your rosary in the evening. And then it's very easy to see these images of Christ, you know. So, okay, we're past time. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be. World without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.